3: Out of the pen, out of the mound, it's the second hour of Sports Talk with Evan Kahn. I'm Scott Beatty. Hope you're having a beautiful day. It is nice out. It is not July. It is July. This is July 12th, but this is uh, just splendid weather, so we will we will take it.
4: How are you, sir? Good to see you. Doing well. Slightly more recovered. Um Better Call Saul didn't break my heart last night.
3: So we've got five episodes to go and I'm I, pretty excited. So I'm kind of waiting to probably binge it uh, again. That's the way to do it. Yeah, and and but I saw people tweeting about it. it may have been one of the best episodes ever that show last night.
4: Well, yeah, like with Breaking Bad, it's kind of hard to pick a, a favorite or a, a best. But yeah, in a, a, a coincidental spot. Part two of the season premiere, it was fantastic.
3: Uh, I'm doing something here I haven't done, I don't think, uh, on Sports Talk uh, with you, or usually even at this time of day. Bought myself chocolate milk yesterday, didn't get through all of it, so I'm going to the tank here to get get a little bit more. Okay. I don't know how this is going to go here. Chocolate milk at, a f- at 5 o'clock on the air. I was always told. You know, don't don't coat your your throat with milk. <laughs> well, I mean,
4: if you talk to any performer, they say not to drink anything but water when when you're on the air. So, milk, soda, I I mean, it, you know, to to each their own. I know, but I you, thought it was more of like a not milk after insert time here or something. Oh, no, no. Like no I'm
3: o- I'm okay in that, but you know, just sometimes you start to learn it's the simple things in life, like, you know, the <laughs> right pillow. <laughs> Or, or a, a gentle breeze, or just a nice glass of chocolate milk. In this case, it's a bottle capped in the studio of chocolate milk. Thank you very much. So milk was not a bad choice.
4: <laughs> I didn't even up, know you were
3: setting that up. I did not know I was setting that up, but that was a beautiful drop. <laughs> Coming up, David Schuster from uh, Chicago will help us understand what's going on up there in the Windy City, particularly with... Um, some some more head-scratching uh, when it comes to the Chicago White Sox, the Cubs as well, what the Bulls have done. He's always good for a little view up there in the city of Big Shoulders. And we got some other items as well. And our friend Colin his from the News Gazette Sports Pages is here right now because we've got a hot item in the <laughs> high school sports world here. Uh, very noteworthy that Central High School may... We want to emphasize may get to play a game at McKinley Field, on their own field, for football this this summer. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Scott? <laughs> I'm doing great. This is a this is a thing. Yeah. It's it's not just about football. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know we got to get intergovernmental agreements. Yes. It's a pretty
2: big deal. This goes beyond my purview, which is why Jeff Alessio was writing about it last night. But certainly when I. Uh, when I saw it last night, my ears perked up because that is something that I know a lot of people over in the Central Camp have been have been striving for uh, ever since uh, McKinley Field was renovated. You know, uh, they they put an agreement in when you know they decided to renovate McKinley Field that they wouldn't have any of those night games because they didn't want to disturb the residents of the surrounding community and things like that. But you always knew that the folks over at Central were going to want at least just a, a little concession. Give us something anything because uh, to, your, to your point about them not playing games there they have played games there not varsity ones though mm-hmm. the 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 younger teams get to play there because they don't really play at night so much or they don't really play on Fridays so much they play at different times of the week which you know really good benefit for the uh, the younger kids I mean that's a pretty awesome experience for them to get to be on the turf field but yeah those varsity kids uh, that is tough when you, even if it's just across town. It's not about the trip across town to Centennial. It's not like that's a tough drive. You could walk over there if you really needed to, but it's more about you know you just see all this Centennial emblem, emblems and stuff like that. Like Coach Tim Turner said, <laughs> "You defeated the, my men." Yeah, and I, you know, he, he <laughs> might was, be. That's you know, quote of the year. Coach, Coach Turner is very good at um, rousing up emotion. He's certainly done it in me before with some of the quotes he gives about his athletes. But this, this is on the front
3: page today. In case you missed. It. But I just have to. The truth is, is when we walk into that Centennial Building with all of the baby blue Go Chargers and all of that, that defeats my men. Sometimes that yeah. defeats my team.
2: Yeah. See now, Tim Turner is very good at pulling at the heartstrings, which any good football coach should be. They should be able to emote some emote get some emotions out yeah. of people who aren't just their own kids. And um, yeah, I'm not, I, I guess I am a little surprised at that vote. Uh, went 6-0 to last night to say go ahead and, and bring this forth to the uh, the city council for approval that uh, you can play one game. Now, should know it's not on a Friday night. It's on a Saturday morning or afternoon, probably like an early afternoon, maybe a 1 p.m. kickoff or something like that. I think that's a, a decent enough compromise. I mean that's a that's a time of day time of the week when everybody's out and about and making noise and things like that uh, you're not going to be disturbing anybody at that point uh, honestly bigger concern might be people mowing their lawns and you can't hear <laughs> play calls on the football field during that given time so i mean that that would be a coordinate uh, with the neighborhood yeah right so that would be a bigger concern honestly um you know you it's it's tough because i don't live in that neighborhood so i can't say whether or not i would be bothered by having the bright lights on at friday night at 9 p.m four to five times a year um i don't want to get in that discussion and have somebody phone in and, and yell at me because <laughs> i don't i don't in a high road because i don't live in that neighborhood i admittedly could not fairly make that assessment but that being said with how much money was spent to renovate mckinley field and with how beautiful that field is the fact that varsity athletes are not getting to use it, especially varsity football. They do play some soccer games there. They have some track stuff going on there, but varsity football players not getting to use a facility like that. And then you have to go to your crosstown rivals facility all the time for even your home games against that rival. (laughs) That's just that's a tough thing to swallow. So I'm good that they can finally seem to come to an agreement. Hopefully the city council signs off on it. I don't see why you wouldn't. Playing at 10 a.m or 1 p.m on a Saturday is not going to be the end of the world. My biggest concern. Looking at the game they chose, uh, unfortunately Urbana wasn't able to finish the last two varsity seasons. I'm really hopeful for multiple reasons, of course, that they can field a team for an entire school year and that we can uh, we can manage to
3: get this game on tap. Yep, that's that's for sure. And I don't know. I'm with you. I don't know all the stakes to it, but it seems like a no-brainer to at least let him play on a Saturday. This is a, a situation that's never quite made sense to me. McKinley
4: Field was already there before the renovations, mm-hmm. right? Yep. The, the houses around it, did they all come up after the renovations? Do you usually check out the neighborhood before <laughs> you buy a home? And what's the difference between a Monday night JV game and a Friday night varsity game? Yeah, I mean, they, I uh, a 6 or 7 o'clock start, you know, I'd rather stay up late on a friday night than a monday night when i got work again it just has mm-hmm. never made sense to me i hope for the boys <laughs> that, that they get to to play there because as a taxpayer i could never imagine signing off on a seven million dollar renovation and the biggest team that draws mm-hmm. fans Four to five nights a week doesn't even get to play on it, so yeah. you know where I stand.
2: Yeah, they admittedly need to add probably some more seating for a football perspective. I don't think the seating well, it's out not there set is, up for it because they yeah. knew they weren't going to yeah, have exactly. the game. The seating is not up to snuff for a varsity football game at this point. For the exact Bring reason, you launcher. just gave. Hey, you know what? I probably would, but it's neither here <laughs> nor there. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you on that taxpayer front, especially when you see what would make you more upset I guess would would it be the four to five games potentially more if you make the playoffs uh, at night and the lights created by that or just seeing a facility like that sitting, Largely vacant very often. I mean, there are plenty of practices that go on there, but you can
4: practice in a lot of places. You don't <laughs> need to have... I practiced in plenty of cemeteries growing I, up. I, want,
2: <laughs> I, I wrote a, I wrote an all-area track and field athlete of the year story about a Centennial kid who ran down his street for an entire year. I mean, you can, you can practice in a lot of places that don't cost millions of dollars to build. <laughs> so um, the weight room's really nice. I was in there today. Um, but, I mean, there's a weight room at the high school as well. So, I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's hopefully a good compromise. I'm imagining some folks in the community think it'll be a slippery slope where you allow one game and then it snowballs into, okay, and the next one's at night, and then there's multiple games. And, I mean, maybe that's just the way it goes, but, you know, it, it does seem disappointing that you spend all that money on a facility and then it doesn't get the full use that it could have, but... I understand there are a lot of different factors at
4: play. Where where has Centennial always stood on this? Do they mind? Do they care? Is it much of an interference?
2: You know, I've never really asked Centennial's folks how they feel about sharing stuff. I don't think it bothers them as much simply because, you know, even before McKinley got renovated, Central had the capacity to practice and work out at Mm -hmm. McKinley. I mean, there was just grass, just a grass facility that you – would go work out at so nobody from Centennial's ever complained at least to me or to anybody else at the news gazette during my time here eight years roughly that about sharing that um it certainly makes it easier for them with the crosstown games because they don't have to travel at all they get to stay in their own locker room honestly i'd probably see it as a little bit of a benefit from from their perspective and i would think if they were having to divvy up practice time on tommy stewart field over at centennial they would probably be a bit more vocal about it
3: all right, Colin. Uh hey, we just talked last hour to John Bowler, new Parkland head coach for men's basketball, and I know you visited him today. He said mm-hmm. it was a good visit and uh that new new skipper over there for the for the Boys on the pine, the, the hardwood. The, you were trying to get there. I de- <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's all right. Chocolate milk was a bad choice. <laughs> he uh, Yeah. Comes he back. <laughs>
2: came, off, uh, came off great. I just finished uh, writing a story about John, who is a uh, – definitely tell he played basketball back in the day as a forward. He's a big guy. He's a big, big tall guy. Would have been tough to post up against, I have to imagine. Uh, spent a lot of time at uh, Des Moines Area Community College, which I was amazed. Somehow his five years with that program never overlapped with Parkland into a single game. I, I figured oh, wow. they would have played each other at least once, but no such luck, at least according to the schedules that I looked at. But he, he said he was familiar with Parkland just because when you play for, or when you coach for a relatively high level community college, which DMAC made one national tournament while he was there. You find out about Parkland, who has made multiple national tournaments in the last ten years under Anthony Figueroa. Um, I'm curious to see how this goes for John Bowler and the Parkland program moving forward, especially since you know the Cobras tend to field at least
3: a few local products each given season. Good to see you, Colin. Appreciate you uh, checking in with us on on this hot button issue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna I'm
2: gonna go find you some milk and uh, come back. <laughs> all right. It's a bad choice. Yeah, probably. <laughs> pre- appreciate
3: it <laughs> much. Hey, Facer Law Office invites you to attend their free seminar, The Seven Deadly Sins That Could Wreck Your Life. Plan, join Thorpe Facer and Facer Law Office at the iHotel and Conference Center Wednesday, July 13th. That's tomorrow, 1.30 p.m. Reserve your space by calling Facer Law Office 337-1111. That's 337-1111. Uh, Evan Kahn, when we come back... David Schuster will join us. Tony LaRuza up to his tricks again.
4: David's never short on opinion, so we'll see what he has to say.
3: You could learn a thing or two from him (laughs) (laughs) back after this.
1: Can I ask why you would do it after a
3: pitch? No, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Earlier today, the uh, White Sox lost to Cleveland 4-0. And uh, Tony LaRusa up to his tricks again, he walked Jose Ramirez, which isn't necessarily a bad move in and of itself, depending on the situation. But this particular situation was an 0-1 count. And the Sox were trailing 3-0, runner at second base with two outs earlier in the game when it was a one-run deficit. They did not intentionally walk Jose Ramirez, and he hit a two-run single to make it 3 nothing. Again, that's not entirely a bad idea, even though it's Jose Ramirez, but that's the state of the White Sox right now. And that's a good segue into our guy, David Schuster, Chicago sports personality, who joins us now on the line David, how are you? Sorry to start with the (laughs) Sox.
1: Well, you could start with almost any team in Chicago. They're all disasters, to be honest with you. Yeah. (laughs) So pick your poison. Go ahead. You know,
3: (laughs) I guess I'll pick pick the Bulls. I think if there is a team where you can go, well, maybe that's a team I could get behind and see some success. Because I feel like this past year – they, they drew my interest. They drew a lot of people's interest. And now they need to go further. They need to do more. Uh, they need to sustain it. But I, after where they've been, I can't complain about what the Bulls were this past year. So I'll start with you there. Do you like what they've done in the off season?
1: Well, do I like what they've done? Um, I can go both ways with that, with an answer here. Uh, listen, they've added some pieces. Um, uh, Goran Dragic, uh, yeah, he's had some success, especially in the postseason. But he's 37 years old, so his best days for sure are behind him. Andre Drummond, I actually I was a little surprised. Andre Drummond's only 28 years old, um, and he's had some. I mean, every time I would go cover a Bulls Pistons game, the guy had 20 plus rebounds every single game. Um, so he is a rebounding machine. However, on a Bulls offense that is predicated on moving the ball up and down the court. I don't know really how he's going to fit in, you know, and he's only going to play like 15 to 20 minutes as a backup anyway. So, again, I like both players in general. I just don't really know how much they're going to help. Obviously, Zach Levine, you know, is now in the fold at $215 million over the next five years. That's a lot of money. I I like Zach Levine. I I just don't know. I guess what I'm trying to uh, finally get around to saying is the Bulls made the playoffs last year. They were a very, very good team in the first half of the season. Then they fell apart like a cheap suit. Unfortunately, injuries had a lot to do with that. And I don't really know how much better they will be going into this season, considering that the other teams in the East, I think, are far ahead of them. So, yeah, they'll be a playoff team. But, you know, is 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 your goal to be a number six, seven, or even eight seed in, in the playoffs, which I think the Bulls are going into next season? That's not really what uh, you're supposed to be playing for.
3: But uh, do you think there's a long-term plan um, where they can mm. you know, get into the top tier of the Eastern Conference, or maybe I don't know—is there an ace up their sleeve yet? Yeah, you know, go get Kevin Durant or something uh, wacky like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there would have to be. That would be that would be the uh, yeah the ace uh, four aces up their sleeve. To be honest with you, but uh, I don't think the Bulls really have what it takes compared to other teams to make an offer for Kevin Durant to the Brooklyn Nets. No, I don't really know what their long range plan is. I mean, uh, Nikola Vucevic is in the final year of his contract. Um, You know, he's, he's he's on the wrong side of 30 at this point. Lonzo ball is coming off a bad knee injury. um, And no one knows for sure if he's going to be ready for the season. And DeMar DeRozan is no spring chicken either. So I don't really know what their long, long range plan is and they don't really have the draft capital. So I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but I just don't really know if, you know, I'm not going to be super optimistic about this team going forward. I just don't feel it.
3: David Schuster with us here from Chicago.
4: Hey, David, this is Evan. And along those lines with the the Dragic signing and, and kind of how they struggled with injuries last year, are you maybe concerned that Lonzo Ball's not going to be ready to go at the beginning of the season? And, and, and how much does he figure into how good the Bulls started last year and how much they fell off?
1: Oh, I'm pretty confident in saying that they're concerned. Never never mind me. Who am I? Uh, I think the fact that they signed Dragic, you know, it accomplishes two things. Yes, he's more than a capable guy to fill in if ball is not ready to go. And they keep saying that he's making progress, but we haven't seen him since, honestly, I don't know, March at this juncture. He's out in Los Angeles, so we just don't know. I mean, it's up in the air. He had a lot to do. I mean, again... The Bulls were one of the, the Bulls were the best team in the East for much of the first half of last season. They just were. Then, unfortunately, you know they got stale, they got injured, and they started falling apart. They had a very sub 500 record uh, after uh, the All Star break. Um, we just don't know. The thing about Ball and I think he was really good last year. And I like him a lot. I mean, his outside shooting has gotten tremendously better since uh, he came out of college where he couldn't throw the ball in the ocean from the boat, but you know, he's gotten so much better doing that, but he's not really your traditional point guard. He doesn't really handle the ball and and break down the defenses, you know, on the offensive end of the court. DeMar DeRozan had the ball in his hand. He was almost like the point forward, like Paul Pressey used to be with the Milwaukee bucks. So I, again, I, I want to be optimistic about the Bulls, but my instincts tell me that they're just, you know, a playoff team, but not a high seed. That's just the way I look at them.
4: Well, now I, I don't want to ask about your optimism, but maybe the the team's front office optimism. I, I keep trying to squint and, and make comparisons between this White Sox team and the twenty 27- seven team Cubs who around this time were under 500 and they they made a move but of course that team was coming off winning a a world series and winning four postseason series over the the final two years it has this team and and the coaching staff for the White Sox given the front office enough reason to add to this team I I I can't see them staying pat but they also don't want to sell but I, I I just wonder where the White Sox can go from here.
1: Wow. (laughs) Like all kinds of directions, honestly. I mean, you know, they have been, I don't think there's any question. And again, I'm not trying to be a downer here, but I don't think there's any question. They've been the biggest bust and the biggest uh, 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 non-success so far in the Major League Baseball season, the first half of the season. This team was supposed to run away and hide uh, in their division. Well, you know, they've lost two in a row to Cleveland, including today's game of which you guys have already alluded to. And, you know, they, they, they're under 500. They can't win in their division. They can't win at home. They can't hit more often than not. Three measly singles. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of criticism that they're a dead team. Well, oh boy, today's uh, first game of the Twy-Night doubleheader was a perfect example. Not Twy-Night doubleheader, day-night doubleheader. Um, three singles, and, and they fell apart in two hours and three minutes. Boy, I mean, as a reporter, I love covering games like that. But as a fan, <laughs> watching them just... You know, whiff, 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 whiff in two hours and three minutes. Um, you know, it's, it's a bad sign. Where do they go from here? I mean, they're still not out of it. The division really isn't that good. Um, it's still probably the worst overall division in baseball. Um, I think they're, what, five and a half games out of first place, give or take, right now. So they're still in it, but they've just never shown anybody a propensity of, of putting on any kind of win streak. They just haven't. Um, There's a lot of things wrong with the White Sox and a lot of things that, you know, as a reporter, when you go into their clubhouse, you just feel something's wrong. You just do. And and maybe a lot of that does have to do with, you know, the age of the manager. You know, he's no spring chicken, obviously, himself at 77 years old. Um, And and maybe there's just the malaise from him being like out of touch, like a lot of people say. I'm just—I'm not 100% sure where they go, to be honest with you, Evan. Yeah, they could add, they could sell. I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf, the old white flag trade, whatever year that was, they were three and a half games out of first place, and he just gave up on it. So who knows what he's going to do?
3: Yeah, I—I I feel like Tony LaRusso is the low-hanging fruit, but at the same <laughs> time, I—I—I I, wouldn't—I wouldn't be upset if they—if they made a managerial move. I don't think it'll happen. Um, based on history and based on J- Jerry Reinsdorf's um, legendary loyalty to, right. to his people, uh, it, it seems like that's just the easy answer when something isn't going right with a team. But in this case, could it just be the easy answer?
1: Oh, it easily could be an easy answer. And Listen, it's, it's, it's the oldest easy answer in Major League Baseball. You can't fire 25 players or however many are nowadays on a roster you certainly can fire the old manager, and in this case, the manager is old, by the way. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, Jerry Reinster specifically, you know, overruled almost everybody and brought uh, Tony La Russa out of mothballs to be the manager of the White Sox. They did get into the playoffs for what it's worth last year and then did nothing there as well. So I, I just don't see it happening. They're just too close, uh, not only in age proximity, but in, in so many other things. I just don't see Jerry. If, if Tony LaRusta, by some strange reason, is not the manager within the near, near future, it's not because he was fired. It's because he finally goes to Jerry Reinsdorf himself and says, you know what? It's not working. I apologize. I, it's time for me to go. But Jerry Reinsdorf will not fire Tony LaRusta.
3: On the north side of town, how do you assess David Ross? Do you like what he's done under his circumstances and, and the culture? that he's establishing this year with what he has?
1: You know, there's criticisms of him, uh, you know, with his uh, lineup, this and that. But, you know, it, it, again, I hate to use old adages, but, you know, when you go into a fight with one hand behind your back, you're not going to win too many fights. Um, the, what you see on the field right now, of all the players on this roster, how many are going to be there when this team might underline, might challenge in three or four years? I don't know, a handful at best. So uh, they're rebuilding, but there really doesn't seem to be a hundred percent plan on that side of town either. It's going to be really interesting, guys, to see what they do in that trading deadline coming up at the end of the month. Is Wilson Contreras gone? Uh, is Ian Happ both, by the way, all stars for the Cubs? Are they, are they both gone? You know, uh, they could fetch something. I mean, if you're going to do a rebuild, at least the Blackhawks are as transparent as they come. They're just tanking like no tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if the Cubs will do that, but they certainly could if they really wanted to, and the fans will come out no matter what. So I, I I don't know what the plan is on that side of town either, honestly.
4: Yeah, you mentioned what I, I wanted to bring up. I, I was looking into it. Kind of surprised the the Cubs faithful always come out at, at Wrigley. They're still a, a top ten in attendance. That didn't really surprise me, but they still continue to show up on the road, as you point out. And if you look around the the Twitter sphere, and I'm sure you, you hear it in Chicago. Um, the vocal folks don't believe in the Cubs, but are you surprised by how many have supported them this year when going in for the first time in almost six years, they knew that they weren't going to compete?
1: No, nah, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> you know Wrigley Field is the ultimate place for sheep to go graze. I mean, it just <laughs> is. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people just go there for the ballpark and the atmosphere itself, and, and to heck with it. You know, listen, I know a lot of my friends even go there for that reason alone, drink beer and you know, get a lot of sunshine. Um, and, and if they lose or they win, it really doesn't make much difference. You know, I'm not saying that's their entire fan base, but that's a lot of people. And a lot of people come from out of town in the summer and just go to Wrigley Field. I mean, it is it is a unique place. It's a, it's a landmark kind of place. So, no, I'm not surprised that they continue to draw. I'm really not.
4: So, you're meaning to tell me Wrigley Field isn't stock standard uh, like that Red Sox pitcher said a couple of weeks ago? No, I'm just totally joking. We all know that it's not stock standard. You can say those sorts of things after losses. But really, to, to bring it full circle, uh, the the Bears, they made a move today, but as somebody pointed out, it doesn't really really look like it. it moves the meter for them.
1: No. No, it doesn't. I mean, yeah, they brought in another wide receiver. That's because, you know, Listen, the Bears have had three guys arrested, including a wide receiver, over the last, I don't know, week or ten days. So they're probably going to bring in a few more players before it's all said and done. Not really sure where they're going either, to be honest with you. And, um... Once again, an old adage, you know, you don't know the players without a scorecard, and that includes the reporters for covering the Bears this year. I mean, talk about turning over a roster, and I don't think they're done either. I think Robert Quinn probably goes before it's all said and done also. Um, So, yeah, it's all about Justin Fields, but he's not really surrounded by a lot. So I, I hope the kid doesn't really get his head handed to him too often. But it, that just might happen. So it's all about him going forward. Will he or won't he be uh, the franchise quarterback that they've never had? Um, but they just have so many holes in so many other places. And and a lot of players who, honestly, I can't tell you about because they're so new to me. I have to see them with my own eyes.
3: David Schuster from Chicago. David, in the midst of uh, all that comes at you in your Twitter timeline, I find uh, these scenic pictures <laughs> That you have been posting, and I got to admit, for a while I went, wow, David's been traveling.
0: <laughs> I'm starting to
3: suspect you're just posting pictures of really great uh, views all over the world. But maybe you have gone from Greece on the June July 6th to Ireland on July 7th. I don't know. I'm impressed <laughs> if, if that's the case. But I thank you for those little... Uh it's like on YouTube TV like the little moment of zen they want to give you
1: it's just a nice little <laughs> yeah, picture Yeah well, of... uh, yeah I was going to say Scott you got me on that one uh, no I have not been uh traveling Yeah some people actually thought "Whoa, wow what frequent flyer miles he's building up he's in uh he's in Tokyo one day and he's in Ireland the next day no sorry that's not the case A lot of those places I have been to in the past but even more than that a lot of those places I want to go to in the upcoming near future so um, I'm just having some fun, and, yeah. and I think some people appreciate it. That's All right,
3: awesome. so give me your top—you uh, know—must got to get there as, as soon as possible. Place for you?
1: Well, I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go to Australia, New Zealand. I want to go to a lot of places, to be honest with you. Yeah. What I don't want to go to is any ballpark that's got like a day-night doubleheader. I've done that too many times. <laughs>
3: All right, my friend. We appreciate your time, as always. And here's to getting to an exotic locale as soon as possible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great one.
3: David Excited. Schuster, you can follow him at uh, Shoe Mouse on Twitter. And latest picture is a great view of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, a place I would like to go see myself as well. That wouldn't be too hard to get to. Yeah, uh, I, I, There's no convenient airport. You gotta you. You're gonna fly into San Francisco or Sacramento or or one of the Southern California places and then drive up. There's just no uh, no big city right by it. But that's why it's a national park.
4: Get a little uh, away from those sorts of things.
3: Yep. All right. When we come back, we got more to get to. And um, as usual, you. I think. I think you might need to help catch me up on yet another viral sensation. Oh. Okay. Because as usual, if I'm just learning about it, it was two weeks ago. We'll see. (laughs) Okay. Stay with us.
1: Hi, it's Len Casper. Tune in tonight for White Sox Baseball here on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM. The
3: trend is... Taking an emoji and giving it a new meaning. (laughs) If I text you the emoji, it actually means this. That's what people are doing.
4: I gotta pull up a list of emojis so I can come up with one.
3: Yeah. The the one I liked was if I text you a mango emoji, like the action you could the mango appears. That means let let that man go. And I figured I'm proud of myself here because... It
4: looks like it's, you know, within the last 24 hours. So. Okay,
3: so I'm not that late to the party, unlike the last... You were
4: ahead. You beat me to it.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm but you were old. on vacation
4: last weekend. Uh, I guess that's true, so I don't know. Either uh, way, that, right. that, would, that would stop bad. I'm going to have to come up with something. All right. <laughs> um, but along those lines, as we kind of... Bro- Well, I brought up during the break. I don't know if you guys have brought it up on the air, but something that was passed along to me while I was out over the weekend, and if you've perused Illinois Athletics, any of their
3: Twitter pages, the shade of orange looks a little paler. Uh, Yeah. I have wondered um, if if that is... If there's something going on.
4: Well, and then I saw this tweet and and doing a little digging as I I prep for a sports show that I have every day because, you know, we got to find some things to talk about. And and I I saw that the assistant athletics director for strategic brand management, her her name is Kelsey Ansfield. You might know
3: her. I Mm -hmm. don't. But she she, used to be uh, uh, do that stuff for men's basketball. Okay, so yeah. now she's she's moving up to, to yeah, do she, more of it. And, yeah, and she, she, that was a couple of years ago she made that move. And, yeah. and she
4: tweeted about how she couldn't be more proud of the new Hail to the Orange rebranding. I'm guessing that's with the slogan. There's been a lot of Hail to the Orange across the social media platforms as well as the Orange looks different. Not haven't gotten quite confirmation on it, but um, there might be some changes coming.
3: Yeah, I don't know how to feel about that. As I'm just going to say, as somebody who appreciates the color orange, um, I have liked the color that that was there. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to be old man uh, screaming at the cloud here if it changes, <laughs> but it's a different. It was a different orange than back in my day, and I felt it was a better orange. And if there's a little bit of a different orange now, I'm I'm okay with it because it's still not like Texas. Mm -hmm. That's that burnt orange or Tennessee, which is like the creamsicle
4: way too light,
3: Uh, but I just like a nice bold
4: orange as long as it's consistent and that was what bugged me the most about those old helmets that they used to wear like those burnt orange ones. It's like it didn't even match the uniform top that you were wearing under it. And if different sports are wearing different colors of orange, I I don't think it looks good for for continuity and building a brand. You want that all to look alike. maybe And maybe, you know, my eyes are are just wearing out here. It was a long weekend, and maybe it's the the same orange. But if they do a a color rebrand, that's going to change a
3: lot of of things. Minor league baseball teams are famous for uh, trying to do a rebrand every few years because <laughs> then you gotta get new
4: merchandise. Yep, draws some people in, gives some unique opportunities. There's a Twitter page I think that does that, like major league players who have to wear the the gimmicky minor league uniforms. Oh, yeah. Like Robinson Cano in a Star Wars uniform
3: or something like that. Oh, because on they're rehab. on rehab? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh. I don't remember where that is. <laughs> Out of context, Major League Player is wearing uniforms, <laughs> uh, Minor League uniforms. Yes, that would be awesome. Um, do you want to hear from Nick Saban? I can just tell you what he said. I captured it. He kind of has some thoughts on, on realignment and – Competitive balance. Let's just hear a little bit. Okay. This is Nick Saban. He's on uh, a a podcast with Greg McElroy called Always College Football. And it was a long podcast, but he was asked about uh, college uh, realignment. All this stuff is going on as we speak.
0: My biggest concern is competitive balance. You know, the NFL, which I was involved in for eight years, Every rule that they have is to create competitive balance. And if they could have every team go eight and eight, right? so at the end of the season, every team was playing their last game to get in the playoffs, they would be ecstatic, right? because how much fan interest does that create? You know, how, how much TV ratings and all the things that go into all these things um, does that create? we don't have any guardrails on what we're doing right now. All right. So, um, we have no restrictions on who can do what. Some people are going to be capable of doing certain things. Other people are not going to be capable, but the, the, the bottom line is, is we'll lose competitive balance, which everything we've always done in college football is to maintain competitive balance, same scholarship. Everybody had to play by the same rules and whether it was recruiting or whatever. All right, so um, right now, that, that's, not, that, that's not how it is. All right, so if that's the case, you're going to create more haves and more have-nots. Therefore, there'll be less good games. One of my biggest concerns about college football is attendance has, has like, gradually fallen off. And I think one of the reasons for that is the quality of games. I mean, we probably play three or four games every year. Our fans don't really care about coming to see. Well, I don't want to really want to play any games that our fans don't want to come and see. Uh, and But based on how the culture of college football is set up, largely because of bowl games and eligibility for bowl games is the result of this. Nobody wants to play more games. They want to play games and make sure they can win six so they can go to a bowl game. Uh, that's not necessarily the standard that we live by here, but still, it's hard to get people to play these games. I, I don't know that I totally have, you know, all the answers, but I, I think there has to be some kind of cohesive rules across the board, right? Which we've always had that the NCAA has been able to provide, and a lot of people, you know, criticize the NCAA for the situation that we're in. But if they don't have protection from litigation, they can't even enforce their own rules. All right? And, you know, we have laws now that are, you know, making it relatively impossible to have this competitive balance. So um, if that's the case, then there's got to be some kind of, I don't know what you, what you want to call it, laws, uh, antitrust, yeah. I don't know what the legal term it would be that sort of creates guardrails where you will create competitive balance because things are going to be the same.
3: That's what he said again on the Always College Football podcast.
4: I uh, he, he definitely is asking a lot of the right questions, but he certainly doesn't have a lot of the right answers because we already know that Before NIL, Transfer Portal, there was never an equal playing field when it came to recruiting. I, you know, there's certain universities, a lot of universities that do under the table deals to get prospects in. And there are some schools where you aren't even academically eligible to get in. Those already set barriers on some schools. I get what he's getting at. The NIL, transfer, all that. You've got to have some rules. But there already is a, a competitive imbalance. Ten schools have made the playoff, right, 10 yeah. or 12 schools in, in eight years, it's
3: already not
4: there. Yes, you're asking the right questions, but I don't think he's got any answers.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's right. You know, I, I was curious by his point. He said we're, we've we got a couple, few games a year where our fans aren't probably interested in because of the bowl system. And look, if Alabama came and said to Illinois, hey, you want to come play us? And, we'll, you know, do you think Illinois would be interested? I think not. That's a probably an L. Well, and that's that's and how we And you want to get
4: to, you know? Yeah, and that's how they've got to change it, right? Because teams like Alabama are, are scheduling, insert random, FCS school here and playing them. Why would fans have interest in that? And, and what everybody also forgets, you know, the Big Ten network isn't even 20 years old. There was a point in time where you had to search or you couldn't even find your game on TV. Every single game that your team plays now, if you root for a major D one program, it's on TV. So there's not as much of a, a force to go to the game as there once was.
3: Yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, he's probably he's probably not the guy you want to hear from. And I didn't have to play it, but I but I did. Um, no, and it's no, making it the great. rounds. Yeah, but he's not entirely off base. No, uh, Nick Saban is not for everybody, but he wins, and he's a pretty smart guy. Oh, uh,
4: yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, he d- doesn't win that much if he isn't great. So, yeah, not 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 a bad. He
3: does. Recog- I, it's just, he, he recognizes he's in a position that not everybody's in, mm-hmm. um, but it, it just it's a harder pill to swallow when you hear it from him. Yeah. All right. Uh, back to finish in a moment. That about does it for today, Mr. Khan.
4: Yeah, jam-packed day, and it's not over yet. If you have time and you're not watching a, another game, MLB Network is going to do a six-minute special on Cole Kershipper tonight, getting ready for the draft. Oh, um, cool. Or maybe it's Illinois baseball is dropping it. So check that out and then
3: come back tomorrow because we're going to talk to Dan Hartlett. Very beautiful. Yeah, yep. Dan Hartland with us tomorrow. Also, Scott Docterman. Thanks today to David Schuster and John Bowler, Colin Lykus. Lauren Tate, Evan Kahn, and on the on the other side, Joey Wright. I'm Scott Beatty. It's News Talk 1400. WDWS, Champagne, Urbana. Here come the White Sox.